0: I have been tremendously blessed by my in-laws. That's a scary start. I have been tremendously blessed by my in-laws. They, they are an amazing group of people. And within my in-laws, I mean, they are a diverse group. They have many different occupations. They have many different... Well, they're just different, each and every one of them. And almost from the very first time that I spent any time with them, I learned a significant thing, and that is they love the debate. They love arguing enthusiastically. And some of my in-laws are really, really staunch progressives. And some of my in-laws are really, really staunch conservatives, and that makes for some enthusiastic discussions. We would go to the house and it would be for it didn 't matter what the reason was. we would be at the house and the, and the discussion would would turn to something, and the volume in the room, would, which had been here, would start to get like this, it would go up, and it would get higher and higher and, and, and you see, I was the new guy in the family for a long time, and so I listened. I would listen carefully, and I realized that, that that effectively they were all they were exactly the same. The progressives, the conservatives, they were exactly the same, except for the facts they chose to ignore. And they would have their discussions and they would get louder and louder. And here's what I would, I, I would love to do this. And, and I ha, I'm, this is confession time on my part. This is confession time. Because here's what I did. I would sit there and I would have one of my, one of my brothers-in-law would be here, another one would be here, and very, very quietly, because there's, there's a knack to this. And very, very quietly, I would just sort of lean over a little bit closer to one of them. It doesn't matter which. I've learned that doesn't matter which. And I would just, not so everybody could hear it, but just so that he could and maybe a couple others. And I would say, what do you think about, and it doesn't matter. I called it throwing the hand grenade into the room. And I I have to admit, I really enjoyed that. This is confession. This is a confession time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it way too much, but it didn't keep me from doing it. I did not repent of it. I merely confessed it. And so I would do it whenever we would get together. And, and until a few years ago, and a few years ago, something happened, uh, probably six years ago, I would guess. And, and the discussions changed. See, it would get really loud, but it never got personal. And then there was the year when there was the name-calling and other things, and that's the last time I threw the hand grenade into the room. I said, nope, not going down that path ever again. I am not going to do that. Have you ever tried to change someone else's opinion? You know, their heels are dug in, and you, and you really, you feel like, I, I know what the story really is. And I want to change their opinion. I want to change the way they think. I want to change their attitude. I want to change their behavior. I want to change all these things about them. Have you ever been frustrated by that? to get frustrated trying to change somebody else? It's kind of like a parent who is trying to potty train a child that does not want to be potty trained. You can't do it. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, was Jesus ever frustrated by trying to change people? As we think about Jesus' life, and we think about Jesus' ministry, was he frustrated? Was he as frustrated as we may occasionally be as we are trying to get through to a person who thinks differently than what we do? Have we ever gotten frustrated? Did Jesus get frustrated by the people around him, by the disciples, by the scribes, by the Pharisees, by the Sadducees? Was he ever frustrated by them? How did Jesus deal with this? And I thought back to it, and I, and I thought... Throughout his life, there were miracles. There were the stories, the parables. There, there were the teachings. There were the sermons that he preached. There was the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought, "What? how did Jesus deal with that? And I was reading through the Gospels again and again and again. And I thought, before the cross, before the the tomb, before the resurrection, before his arrest, before the raising of Lazarus, before the miracles, before the teaching, before the parables, before the calling of the disciples, there was something else. And I'd like to read from the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, I'd like to read from chapter one. See, this is the beginning of his ministry. This is the early part. I'd like to read this. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Now, understand, baptism has many different meanings and different forms, and there are many different debates about that. I'm not going into any of that. However, this was the beginning of his ministry. This was the beginning of that. So it it says that, that John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting open and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Do you hear that? You are my dearly loved, some translations say, beloved son, and you bring me great joy. This is a declaration from the father saying, this is who you are. You are who I say you are. Nobody else, their declarations don't matter. In that song that we sang a little bit earlier, who does God say that you are? Who did God say Jesus is? He said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is the part that I don't really like. We get to this part because none of us like this part. The spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. How many of you love to be tempted? How many of you say, sign me up? Where's, I I don't know why, in a church, we don't have a sign-up sheet for temptations. How many of you want to go into the wilderness for 40 days? Where's the sign-up sheet for that? No, I'll go to the mission field, but I'm not going to the wilderness to fast for 40 days of temptation. There's many different things, but that's not high on our list. We don't really want to do that. But it said that he went into the wilderness. I don't know what you think about when it comes to the wilderness, my thought used to be, it's kind of like a jungle. When I was a, when I was a small boy, there was a, there was a woods that we went through, and I thought that was the wilderness. There's this little path that you follow through there, and you might get lost or you might not, and sometimes your older brother takes you out there and hopes you do. To me, that's the wilderness. And I thought, the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into those woods back behind our house. But that's not the way it is. The Judean wilderness doesn't look anything like that. There's there's no vegetation out there. This is dry, rocky ground. It is hot and miserable. So he went out into the, the wilderness and was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Angels are messengers. That's what that word angels means, a messenger. Messengers took care of him. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. So what did Jesus do before he started teaching? What did he do before he started working miracles? What did he do before he started, started preaching and doing all the things that he did? He went out into, he was baptized so that his, he had his father declare, this is who you are. And then he went into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I think that the reason why he went there was so that he could be centered. So that he could be centered on who he is and what he is about. So that he could deal with the human stuff. Because here's what we know, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God himself The divine became human and lived among us and dealt with all the same junk that we have to deal with. Except unlike us, he was without sin. So he started his ministry, and the first thing that he had to do was, i got to deal with this human stuff. i got to deal with these human temptations. And we know what those temptations are. In, in, in Mark's gospel, he doesn't lay out what all those were. But if you look in the gospel of Matthew, you look in the gospel of Luke, you can find those. And that first, that first one was this. He said, if you are the Son of God, if you are who that voice said when you came up out of the water who said, you are the son of God, who is is my beloved son, who brings me great joy. If you are that person, you are seriously hungry right now. There's that stone right there. Doesn't that look kind of like bread to you? Have you ever been so hungry that a stone looked like bread? So he was hungry. And Satan said, if you are, use the power, use the authority that has been given to you and turn that into bread. Satisfy that that physical need that you have. Use the power you have. Focus it on fulfilling your physical needs. And what was it that Jesus said? He said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever been that hungry? Have you ever dealt with the temptation of hunger? There's a good friend of mine, and, and he has practiced prayer and fasting for many, many years, as long as I've known him. And there was a time in his life when he said, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. And I said, okay. He said, seriously, I'm going to do a 40-day fast. And I said, okay. Why are you going to do that? And he said, well, I feel like I've got some stuff I need to deal with. And I said, okay. Will you pray for me while I'm on my 40-day fast? I said, okay, I'll do that. And so he, he made arrangements. His family was there. He, you know, he's got a family. He's got three daughters. You know, there's the family. Are they doing the fast with you? No. And so he was talking to me. And after the, at the end of the fast, I came, I came together with him, and we were talking about it. And I said, tell me about the fast. Tell me about some things. And he said, well, day three was really bad. And I thought that was really bad until I got to day 28. 28 was by far the worst day. He said, I've got all this, I've I've got this journal that I wrote and everything else. And he said, There was this one day, this one day, and I was just so hungry. He said, My wife, she was going to make mashed potatoes and gravy and roast and things like that for her and for the daughters. And I'm still living in the same household. And he said, You know what she did? after she boiled the potatoes for the mashed potatoes, we let the water cool and I drank the water from the mashed potatoes? He said, it was so good. Have you ever been that hungry? I said, so what did you learn from this? He said, I learned this. I will not, I will not be ruled by my stomach. there are desires that I have that want to rule me and I will not be ruled by my stomach. Jesus had to come to grips with those desires that we have as human beings that want to rule us. And he said no to those. Then there was the second one. The second one which, which, where, where Satan took him up to this high place and showed him all the different kingdoms and he said, you know what? If you bow down to me, if you would just bow down to me, you do that, all this is yours. And what was it that Jesus said? He said, it is written, worship the Lord your God only. Only him, no one else, nothing is worthy of your worship. Nothing is worthy worthy of your allegiance except my heavenly father. Have you ever had some, someone or something that, that wanted your allegiance, that wanted you to bow down before it? Now we might say, "Hmm, it's not so obvious as that." Years ago, I was little at the time, and my mother made me laugh. Your mother ever make you laugh? She had a schedule. Every day during the week she had to be at home at 2:30. You know why? Because at 2:30 during the week is when my story comes on. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but does anybody have a my story? My story comes on. And every once in a while, because I was little, I wasn't even in school at the time, I thought, Mom, what are you doing? This is nuts. It's the same thing every day. They change the names, they change the players, but the story doesn't change. You can miss a year of it. You can miss two years of it. And you can come right back in and you didn't miss a thing. Not one thing. The only thing that happens is at the end of each episode, they have special music. You know what the music, that's the music that says, better come back tomorrow, because you might miss something. They lie. You're not going to miss anything. These soaps, I mean, it's just like, and, and I thought, my mom, what is up with her? How could she possibly fall for something like that? Something that is going to say to her, adjust your life and adjust your schedule so that you don't miss this. I thought, my mom is so foolish sometimes. Not a good thing to say out loud. When I was much, much younger and living in Columbus, Indiana, which is fairly close to Indianapolis, there was this thing that happens in May. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, it's called the Indianapolis 500. Now, starting a half hour before the track closes every day on Channel 6, there is this show called Trackside. During the month of May, every day, Trackside. At the end of it, they have special music. Don't miss it, because tomorrow, we're going to have this on there. So I adjusted my schedule... I think you know where this is going. Now, here's the thing. With those kinds of things, if I missed a day, would I have actually missed anything? Here's an announcer, and the announcer has got one of these things, has got one of these kind of, and he's standing there and trying to talk to you, and in the meantime, there's cars going by over and over again, making it so that you can't hear them. And I'm thinking, I have got to tune in again tomorrow just to see what's going to happen. I think Jesus was saying, don't give your allegiance, don't adjust your life for things like that. Things where, you know, if you miss this, you didn't actually miss a thing. You're going to get the same message tomorrow that you got today, and it's the same message you got the day before. Do not adjust your life for something like that. Who should be the one who gets your allegiance? Only our Heavenly Father. He's the only one who is worthy. Then there is this third one. This third one, and that is it, it, Jesus was taken up to the pinnacle of the temple and, and Satan said, you know, just cast yourself off because after all, if your heavenly father loves you, you can do anything you want. You can do any stupid thing you want and he will have to save you. And he didn't put in exactly those terms. I made, that's Dave's amplified version. But he will have to save you. And Jesus said, Do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. You don't test him in these things. And the reason why you don't test him in these things is, is if you do that, you are saying, I am in your seat and you are my servant. And it's not appropriate to say that to our heavenly father. And so Jesus said, no. Because in all of these, what Jesus was doing was he was dealing with his own human stuff before he began trying to influence anybody else. Before he started to influence somebody else, he was working on himself. What does that have to do with me and what does that have to do with you? In the things that we are doing and the people that we might want to influence, the people we might want to change, I think the thing is this. Before We seek to change somebody else. We ought to come before God and say, I think you need to change me. What is it you need to do in me? Jesus was talking about that in the Sermon on the Mount in in chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. He said, why worry about a speck in your friend's eye? Remember, that's changing somebody else when you have a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite! First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He said, deal with your own stuff first. Before you start worrying about fixing somebody else and their attitudes and their thinking and what they are doing, work on yourself. And this is not just a New Testament thing. This is something we find in the Old Testament as well. One of the most significant characters in the Old Testament is David. He was the king of Israel for many years. He he is referred to as, as being a man after God's own heart. And yet he was a bit of a scoundrel. If you study his life, maybe more than a bit of a scoundrel. But there was a time when he, when he had been caught in, in adultery and, and this adulterous relationship and he had committed murder and, and his sins were great and significant. And he was approached by the prophet David about that. And when he was, he wrote this psalm in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, I would encourage you to read it. I'm, I'm just gonna read a couple of verses. Verses 12 and 13. He said, restore in me, Because his prayer was a very personal prayer, a prayer of restoration. Restore in me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then. So what does he do first? He says, God, restore me. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. He said, first, let me deal with my stuff. Let me deal with all the things that are going on in my life and then. Then, help me to help somebody else. I think that's what God would want us to do as well. Not to focus so much on the flaws that we may see in other people and the way that they think and the way that they act and all of that, but to focus on ourselves first and foremost. Focus on ourselves as far as the people that need to be changed. Many years ago, I was a new Christian and I was attending the East Columbus United Methodist Church. There was a coworker who came up to me and, and, and he insulted me. He insulted my faith. He insulted my church. He insulted everything about anything that I believed in the faith. And he said, but our church, we've got it all together. And I thought, hmm. And I was offended, and and then eventually I got mad. And so I came home that day, and I I had this prayer. I said, God, I'm mad. You know me. I don't get mad easy, but I'm mad. I'm mad at him, and so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out my Bible, and I'm going to find stuff, and I'm going back in tomorrow. I'm going to have a list of things, and I'm going to show him. You ever want to do that? I wanted to do that. That afternoon, I read every letter that Paul wrote. I had, a, I had a notepad. I had notes all over it. I'm making notes. I said, I'm going to get him with this one. And then more and more and more. And you know what happened at the end of the day? At the end of the day, I got to the point and I realized I didn't need to prove anything to him. Because what needed to happen is what needed to happen that afternoon in me. And God was dealing with stuff in me. And maybe the comments that that other person made were all about trying to get me to the place where I would spend that afternoon in His Word, reading, thinking, and learning. Are there people that you would like to change? Do they irritate you? Do you ever come before God and say, would you just fix them? Maybe we should start with, God, I'm open. Start by fixing me. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you on this day and we, we give you thanks and we give you praise for who you are. We give you praise for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ, that we might be restored in our relationship to you, that we might, we might come to you and bring our whole selves, the brokenness that we experience and that we, may, we might bring it to you and we might be made whole. We ask that you will restore us if we're broken, fix us first. And then, with the love of Jesus, may we reach out to others, that we may love him as Christ loved us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in me, in us, in your church. We prayed in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? My sisters and brothers in Christ, as you leave here today, may you leave blessed by the good news of Jesus Christ. May you be blessed by his grace, by his love, by his peace, by his joy. May you walk closely with him every day. Amen. God is good and all the time.